Hello and welcome everyone to the Bring the Sting podcast. I am your host, Evan Birchmore, guys, and today is the day. The NBA draft is here, and as promised, we have the Bring the Sting Hornets-specific big board and our draft preview episode, guys, for your draft day. I couldn't be more excited. Without further ado, guys, we're just going to go ahead and dive on in. To our big board, we got eight prospects ranked here. Again, it's a Hornets-specific big board. So with the Hornets situation, roster situation in mind, this is how yours truly ranks these prospects who are in varying degrees projected to be available when the Hornets are on the clock. Without further ado, let's dive in. Prospect number one, Jalen Duran, the center from Memphis. Now, a guy who... High likelihood he's not there come 13, but he could be. And there's been rumors that Charlotte might trade up to get him. So I I felt like I needed to include him here because I I do think it's pretty clear that Charlotte would love to get, would love to get Jalen Duran. And for good reason, guys, those reasons being 12 points, 8.1 boards, 2.1 blocks, 1.3 assists last year at Memphis on 60% shooting and 63% from the foul line led his team in points, rebounds, blocks, an NCAA tournament team, got him to the round of 32. He's still just 18. Potential is sky high. My positive for him is the potential. Again, flashed it last year, 18 years old, got room to grow. The negative for Jalen Duren, I said the little things. And what I mean by that, let me explain. When you have a guy with the talent of a Jalen Duren, lottery-level talent, the there is a tendency for some players to just rely on athleticism and talent alone rather than developing the rest of their game and becoming smart basketball players. I'm not saying that's his his fate in the NBA. I'm just saying that could be the negative because he saw it at times on the floor with Memphis last year. So that is something to keep an eye on, playing smart basketball, the little things on the court. But the tangibles are there. And the, the potential is clearly there, which is why Jalen Duran is number one on the big board, guys. A guy who really combines what I think are the two, the, you know, your two main draft strategies, right? Do we draft for need or do we take best player available? If you're drafting for need in Charlotte, the clear need is the center. But if it's best player available, that becomes a, 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 a murkier debate, right? Jalen Duran, I think, is the best of both worlds. If he's on the clock when you're there, At 13, certainly, I think he'd be the best player available. And he's also filling a need, which is why he's number one on the draft board for the Bring the Sink podcast. All right, guys, number two on the big board, A.J. Griffin, Duke Blue Devils, a guy who put up 10.4 points, 3.9 rebounds, one assist last season on 49% shooting, on 45% from three, and on 79% from the foul line. Now, his dad, Adrian Griffin, played in the NBA as well, and Adrian Griffin is currently an assistant with the Toronto Raptors. Now, something I, I consider and I, I like to look into before the draft is a prospect's, you know, their personal life, their family, you know, what is the situation there? I, I really like when players have a, a parent who played in the league or a sibling, 
you know, who play in the league kind of grew up around the game, right? We saw even in the finals, you always hear it with the Splash Brothers, Steph and Clay, both of their dads played in the NBA. Dale Curry, of course, here in Charlotte with the Hornets. And I just think that's very valuable because they grew up hearing about it, grew up with dad in the house, you know, kind of showing them the ropes, if you will. I think that can be important. Now, it doesn't guarantee that they'll become a great player, but it doesn't hurt either. It certainly doesn't hurt. So Adrian Griffin, that's a feather in the cap, I think, for AJ as well. Great attitude. From everything you hear about this kid, his attitude is tremendous. Hard worker, you know, kind of nose to the grindstone type guy, really kind of has a good head on his shoulders, which is important. You got to consider that as well. AJ Griffin, good bloodlines, great attitude, and shooting translates. 45% shooting from three will translate to the NBA. He's not going to forget how to shoot, you know, between last year and next year. So shooting will translate as well. There are some skills that don't necessarily translate. Shooting will translate. So he's got shooting, he's got the bloodlines, and he's got a great attitude. If there is a drawback to A.J. Griffin, guys, what you're going to hear from everybody is the injuries. He did have major injury issues in high school, kind of put it behind himself last year. And what I'll say to that, is, you know, a player is, we kind of have this tendency to label guys as injury prone until they stop being hurt, you know, until they stop being injured. Really, the main example I come to is Steph Curry used to be a guy who was labeled as injury prone. He was hurt all the time, you know, ankle issues early on until he stopped being hurt, you know, and whether it's a training regimen you get on, whether it's just better luck, you know, other changes that you can make, Guys are, are hurt all the time until they're not. And so I got to give A.J. Griffin the benefit of the doubt. Still a young kid as well, so it's not like he's old and hurt. He's young and was hurt in high school, right? So proving that he can stay healthy in the league will obviously be important. I mean, all the other things are kind of out the window if he can't play. But he's number two on my big board if he happens to be available. And that leads us into number three, guys. Johnny Davis, the guard from Wisconsin. Johnny Davis last season, his stats, 19.7 points a game, 8.2 rebounds a game, 2.1 assists. He shot 43% from the field. He shot 31% from three. And he shot 79% from the foul line. He was also the Big Ten Player of the Year. He was the Jerry West Award winner in college basketball and the Lute Olsen Award winner in college basketball. Also, we talk about bloodlines. His dad, Mark Davis, played in the NBA. Now, Johnny also was the quarterback of his high school football team, and his twin brother, Jordan, was on the team with him at Wisconsin. So that, that's a pretty stacked resume, in the opinion of yours truly, when you talk about bloodlines. You got a dad who played professionally, you have a brother who's playing on your college team, and you were the quarterback of your high school team. I don't want to make this out to be a bigger deal than it is, but that is important, guys. You think about quarterback and the, the qualities associated with a quarterback in football, the good ones at least. Maturity, good decision maker, leadership, charisma. And if you're the quarterback, you just think about it. All the good quarterbacks have that. We talked about it last year in the draft with Jalen Suggs. He was quarterback of his high school team. Again, so you just look at a guy in Johnny Davis who has a similar – thing going for him, I think that could be a, a another feather in Johnny Davis's cap as well. Now, the positive for him as well is defensive upside. Six foot nine wingspan. This guy could become your three and D solution on the wing. His drawback, three-point shooting. Okay, and as we talked about, shooting will translate. Shooting can also be learned. 
31% from three is not great. That will need to improve. But may I remind you, a certain player by the name of Jason Kidd, who I think had a pretty good career in the NBA, used to be known as Asen Kidd. He had no J, could not shoot, learned how to. There are players who can learn how to shoot, especially the guys who have the work ethic to learn how to shoot, and I think Johnny Davis does. That's why he's third on our big board, guys, and that leads us into number four on our big board. Ochai, Ochai Abaji, Kansas Jayhawks. Ochai Abaji, guys, put up 18.8 points a game, 5.1 boards, 1.6 assists a season ago as Kansas captured the national championship. He also shot 48% from the field, 41% from three. That's pretty great. And 74% from the foul line. You talk about wingspan on defense. This guy has a six foot 10 wingspan as well. So if you want to talk about three and D and he was a four year college player. Now to break that down, I know certain people look at that and they say four years. Why do you stay four years? If you're really that good, why didn't you leave after one or two or even three years, four years in college? To that, I answer, there is merit to that, I give you, but there are also examples of four-year college guys going on to have success in the NBA. Just a few off the top of my head, CJ McCollum, Dame Lillard, Jimmy Butler, Draymond Green. What is the commonality with all of those players who I just listed? They're all regarded as and known as smart players, mature players. Especially look at a guy in a Draymond Green who really impacts basketball beyond his box score contributions, particularly as he has gotten older. His, his impact on his team is not his, his points, his rebounds, his assists anymore. His impact comes in other forms. And then even the other guys who put up bigger numbers, you know, guys, CJ McCollum, Dame Lillard, Jimmy Butler, they put up bigger numbers than Draymond, but they're known as smart, intelligent players, play the right way. That's kind of what that four-year college stay does to you. That's a big part of why, you know, you just looked at college basketball, the product of college basketball as a whole was better several years ago when guys stayed longer. Now it's, it's you know, not as good of a product and they don't come into the NBA quite as ready, you know, don't have the strength, the physicality quite yet. You're thinking about it. You're 18 years old. You're playing against grown men, right? You're still growing yourself and putting on good weight and good muscle. So with that said, this guy could step in day one, be ready for it. And I think however good he will be, he will be that off the bat. And there is something to be said for that, especially for a team in Charlotte who, it appears is shifting into a sort of a win now mode. So that could be very valuable as well. Again, as I mentioned, the positives, defensive upside, six foot 10 wingspan and can play off the ball. Doesn't necessarily need the basketball to be effective on offense. Now that kind of goes hand in hand with his negative that I have listed. That is being able to create his own offense, which granted he won't be tasked with doing a whole lot in Charlotte, but it would be a good skill to add to his arsenal. Guys, last year, just on Kansas, he was fifth on the team in assists, but led them in turnovers. Again, fifth in assists, led them in turnovers. So being in control on offense, being able to create on offense without getting sloppy, without turning the ball over, will be a big step for him to take, but I certainly think I can. he can do it. That's why he's fourth on the big board, guys. And that leads us into number five. 
on our Hornets specific big board, a guy who I watched a lot of because he played in the SEC, which is where my team plays. Mr. Tari Eason, the Ford from LSU, guys. And if you've listened to this show, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I am a big South Carolina Gamecocks fan as well. They're in the SEC. They play LSU. And Tari Eason had a tremendous game when LSU played South Carolina. He was a guy who really leaped off my screen. He, he was the guy who really, you know, he drove the bus for them, if you want to say that. Kind of, you know, a guy who I just look at him and just plays so hard. Right. His effort is just undeniable. His numbers, really good numbers last year. He averaged 16.9 points, 6.6 rebounds, 1.9 steals, 1.1 blocks. He shot 52% from the field, 36% from deep, and 80% from the foul line. So it's got a good shot as well. Guys, he was first team all SEC and he was SEC sixth man of the year. So that's something important as well. He's a guy who Look, I've said before, every pro basketball player has a certain level of ego. They would not be in the NBA if they did. That's not a bad thing. But a guy in Tari Eason, sixth man of the year, has come off the bench, knows how to be effective and help his team without needing a lion's share of the minutes at his position. That's important for a guy who's not going to be a starter from day one on this team, right? He's not going to start the first game of the year. How can I impact winning without being a starter, without getting the most minutes on the team? He's a guy who understands that, and I think that is very valuable for the Charlotte Hornets. His high school background is a bit interesting, guys. I went into this, and I love researching guys' high school backgrounds, kind of their early years, high school backgrounds, where they go to high school, who are the other you know, basketball alumni of that high school, who's the coach. So his freshman and sophomore years, his high school basketball coach, none other than Brandon Roy, former NBA player, former Portland Trailblazer, Brandon Roy coached Tari Eason for Eason's first two seasons to high school ball. Then he transferred over to Federal Way High School, where he was teammates with Jaden McDaniels, currently with the Timberwolves, and brother of Jalen McDaniels here with the Hornets. So Eason kind of by connection has a connection to the current Hornets roster, you know, through Jaden, through Jalen. Interesting little tidbit there. Doesn't really mean anything, not necessarily, just something I thought was interesting. Wrapping up on Eason, positives and negatives for Tari Eason, guys. Effort. I mentioned at the top, effort. This guy plays so hard every single game. Again, I watched him a lot down there at LSU, played my Gamecocks. He just played hard every single second of the game, right? and can switch on defense. That's important. In the modern NBA, with switching and teams on offense, just hunting pick and rolls, hunting certain matchups on offense, being able to switch, and this guy can switch one through five, is important. It's very important. He's a guy who can do that, so that's going to really be helpful at the next level. Now, if there is a drawback to him, it's kind of the, the other side of the coin from effort. Control. Controlled effort is what you're going for, guys. He had an assist to turnover ratio of 2.2 turnovers for every one assist. That's not great. That, that, that's actually pretty bad. And he fouled out six times last year, including this almost just didn't even seem possible. One time he fouled out of a game in seven minutes. It's a game against Florida. He fouled out in seven minutes of action. So that's obviously not going to work in the NBA you know, the games are longer. I know you get an extra foul, but again, the games are longer as well. So, 
it's the same distribution of fouls per minute, if you want to call it that. That, that clean up the fouls and clean up the turnovers as well. Obviously, turnovers on offense, fouls on defense, just, just got to straighten those things out. But the effort's there. And, and, you know, it's kind of coach speak. It's, an you know, a, a saying. But, but you'd rather say, you know, cool down than giddy up, right? Like you'd rather have a guy who, who's – you need to pump the brakes on than a guy who you have to continue to try to motivate. And that's kind of the boat Tari Eason falls in. That's why he's fifth on my big board. Number six on the big board. Jeremy Sohan, Baylor Bears. Jeremy Sohan, a guy who put up 9.2 points, 6.4 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 1.3 steals, shot 47% from the field, shot just 30% from three and 59% from the foul line. So as you can probably guess, his negative is the offensive end of the floor, particularly his shot. Again, we talked about Ace and Kid, you know, can Sohan, are they going to call him, you know, Aramy Sohan until he learns to shoot? you know, possibly, but that can be learned, but it will need to be learned for him to maximize his potential. The positive defense, guys, defense, defense, defense. When you talk about perimeter defense and point of attack defense, he's really going to help solve that problem for the Hornets again. And then I talk about bloodlines earlier. His mom actually was a Polish women's basketball player. So he's got some good bloodlines as well. Kind of had an interesting, you know, journey to the NBA. He he was born in Oklahoma, moved to England, which is where he primarily grew up, came to Indiana, came to the States, then because of the pandemic, went back to England. Then he went to Baylor for college last year. Now he's going to the league. So he's kind of been all over the place, uh, to be totally honest. But a guy who has tremendous defensive upside just needs to work on his offensive game to really max out his potential at the NBA level. Moving on to number seven on the big board, a name who's been mocked to Charlotte for what feels like, you know, the past several weeks, Mark Williams from up the road at Duke, the center. Mark Williams, guys, he put up 11.2 points, 7.4 boards, 2.8 blocks per game. Again, 2.8 blocks is pretty great. That was first in the entire ACC. That was 12th in the entire country. As well, and for reference, a stat I tweeted out because I thought it was fascinating. Mark Williams, again, I mentioned 2.8 blocks to compare that to Mason Plumley. Now, obviously, it's the NBA. It's more, you know, competitive than college, of course. But Mason Plumley was 84th in the NBA last year in blocks per game. He had 0.7 blocks per game, 84th in the league, and just 49th amongst centers. 84th overall, 49th amongst centers. Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington actually both averaged more blocks per game than Mason Plumlee did. So in terms of rim defender and rim protector and interior defense, that's where Mark Williams's value lies because I don't think he's going to come in and be a, you know, game-changing offensive force, doesn't really stretch the floor a whole lot, but could really fill that role nicely for this Hornets team. Again, ACC Defensive Player of the Year, talk about bloodlines. His sister, Elizabeth, was actually a women's basketball player at Duke, went on to the WNBA, was a lottery pick, is still in the WNBA and has had a, you know, a fantastic career in her own right. So a guy who grew up with sports in the family, obviously has an older sister to look up to as well. The positive for him, we mentioned it, the blocks. He's going to come in. He's going to be a room protector from day one. And that is important. The drawback, again, we mentioned lack of perimeter game, both offense and defense. 
again, the offensive lack of perimeter game, okay, you know, can clog the lane a little bit and you'd like for him to be able to at least knock down the open jump shot, right? But on defense, particularly, if you can't move your feet and switch, that can be an issue. We saw it in the finals, really, when Boston, for some reason, ran drop coverage against Steph Curry in pick and roll sets. And Mark Williams, a guy who played a lot of drop coverage up at Duke and a guy who really is going to need to learn how to not play drop coverage and not rely on drop coverage, you know, be able to switch onto guards, not necessarily guard guards primarily, of course, we don't want him doing that, but just be able to hold his own on the perimeter because that mismatch is going to be hunted and exploited at the next level. He's got to sharpen up that part of his game as well, but Mark Williams has the potential and that is why he is number seven on the big board. And number eight, on our big board, guys, Malachi Branham, the guard from Ohio State, a guy who personally, I just think it makes all too much sense that Cleveland's going to sit there and take him at 14. He's an Ohio State kid, played at St. Vincent and St. Mary, the same school that LeBron played high school basketball at, uh, and a guy who you know put up some good numbers last year, particularly from three-point range, guys. He shot 42% from three, which is, is pretty outstanding, and that will translate. Shooting will translate. But I just think his drawbacks are kind of exactly what the Hornets don't need. And that's sort of a lack of defensive tenacity on the perimeter and then tunnel vision on offense. And I really just don't think that meshes really at all with what Charlotte's going to be looking for in the draft. So for that reason, Malachi Branham is eighth on the list. But again, put up good numbers at Ohio State. He was 13.7 points, uh, 3.6 boards, two assists. Again, we mentioned 42% from deep. Uh, 83% from the foul line, which again is pretty solid, and uh, 50% from the field. So he was almost a, well, I can't say almost 40, 50, 90, but he was, he was 40, 50, and 83, which is, you know, very solid. Uh, but again, just, I, I'm not sure there's a spot for another guard who is a good shooter, but doesn't really facilitate and doesn't really play a whole lot of defense. Uh, you kind of already have a few of those type of guards on your roster. So for that reason, Malachi Branham, is eighth on the big board. So just to recap, I know that was a lot of information. Number one, we had Jalen Duran, the center from Memphis. Number two, we had AJ Griffin, the forward from Duke. Uh, number three, we had Johnny Davis out of Wisconsin. Number four, we had Ochai Abaji, the guard from Kansas. Uh, number five, we had Tari Eason out of LSU. Number six, we had Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. Number seven, Mark Williams from Duke. And number eight, Malachi Branham from the Ohio State University. Again, that's our ranking of the eight prospects who I think are going to be in that range, 13 to 15, for the Hornets at the draft, guys. And that'll do it for this episode. Again, a draft-specific episode. Had a lot of fun doing this. I love the draft. It's always fun to you know, discuss and debate the draft because no one really knows, right? Like, there is no slam-dunk sure thing. Most, most years, most of the time, most players really were not totally sure about. You'll get, you know, two, three, maybe four stars in any one, in any one draft. And you'll get, you know, another handful of guys who were good, solid, like starting level players. But ultimately it's just fun to go back years down the road and say, okay, I was wrong. I was right. It's fun to see what the, uh, what the discussion was before the draft as well. Uh, we all just hope the front office gets it right and kind of, you know, is better at doing this than, than the general public is right. And is better at, you know, not ending up looking foolish, you know, three, four five years down the road as the years go by and as the players' careers develop, of course. But had a lot of fun doing this episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bring This Thing podcast for, uh, you know, a bit of an unscheduled episode, right? We announced this just last week, our draft 
special. And we'll be back again Monday, regularly scheduled episode. We'll be recapping the draft as well. Uh, we'll see, you know, any other news, notes, uh, things that are going on between now and then. We'll be sure to recap as well. As always, drop us a follow on social media. Instagram, we're at Bring the Sting. Twitter, we're at underscore Bring the Sting. Uh, please be sure to subscribe to YouTube as well. Have loved putting content on the YouTube channel as well. As always, we'll drop you a follow back. We'll always interact with our fans because, you know, without the fans, we're nothing. We're by fans for fans. And we mean that, you know, as a show. That's that's what it's all about is the fans of the Hornets. And, and, you know, I truly do mean that. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Go Hornets, and we'll see you Monday.